Hello and welcome to the Generosity Freak Show. My name is Nathan Hill, and honestly, I'm feeling a bit under the weather as I'm recording this, so apologies for my scratchy voice, but I'm really, really excited to invite you into the sit-down interview with Alexandra Ryan. She is the global lead of fundraising products at the Movember Foundation, which is based in Melbourne, Australia. I had the chance to sit down and talk with her at the Nonprofit Innovation and Optimization Summit back in September because she was one of our NEO award winners. And on the podcast today, Brady and Alex chat about her award-winning campaign and what it actually took to make such a major shift in fundraising strategy. And this interview is timely because today, when we're releasing this podcast, is November 1st, and that's actually the start of this year's Movember campaign. So you'll hear more about that in the interview, and hopefully you'll get some inspiring ideas for growing generosity in your own space. Enjoy. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. I said, welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Oh, welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Hi, Alex. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. All right. So we're going to chat Movember and your uh, recently anointed award-winning work uh, in a second. But before we get into Movember and your work, uh, I want to hear a little bit more about you and your background. You're obviously from Australia. um, And I saw, creeping on your LinkedIn profile, that you actually used to sell diamonds. Is that true? Yes, it is true. So Whilst I was working at university, I had two jobs running at the same time. One was selling engagement rings, very top tier engagement Ooh. rings, the Australian Diamond Company. Uh, and the other was working as a face-to-face promoter for World Vision Australia. So um, connecting supporters with child sponsorship, wow. uh, which was something I was quite passionate about because I had done some volunteer work with World Vision in the Solomon Islands. So it was really interesting (laughs) that the the kind of like talking to people about a $20,000 diamond ring (laughs) and then trying to get a donation um, of $60. But both of them were really about having tough conversations and really appealing Mm. to people emotionally and and connecting them with what was important to them. So it's in good stead for the charity world. Interesting. Which one was harder? Um. I think I certainly enjoyed working for World Vision more, <laughs> yeah. um, but surprisingly, people were probably more happy to part with $20,000 for an engagement ring than sometimes $60 <laughs> for a donation. Interesting. Interesting. So then the the what I wanted to know is, well, how did you kind of go from university and selling diamonds into the world of charity? But I'm guessing your experience with World Vision played a role, but is that kind of what led you into this charity world? Yeah, so I um, was lucky enough to have an incredible manager at World Vision Australia who um, kind of took me under my under her wing when uh, I was working as a face-to-face promoter and then when I graduated uni with a degree in history and politics, which wasn't hugely relevant to the job market <laughs> at the time, mm-hmm. uh, she offered me a full-time role as a fundraising team leader, so kind of wow. leading, leading the teams uh, who were out there uh, promoting and I worked at World Vision for a couple of years and I, I moved into the youth space, so really engaging with uh, people under 25. Uh, and, yeah, the, the rest is history. Wow. That's that's awesome. Uh, I always love asking people how they kind of 
got into this space because everyone's kind of journey into the space is always a little different. So that's neat. Um, So then you worked for a few other pretty large charities in Australia. And uh, I'm interested, you know, a lot of people listening maybe don't know that much about like the charitable landscape in Australia compared to, say, Canada or the U.S. Um, Can you just share quickly, like, what is it kind of like? Like, what's similar or what's different, particularly the U.S. maybe? Because I think Canada's kind of similar. So maybe how is it different to the U.S.? Well, yeah, as you said, I think there's a lot of commonalities between the the Commonwealth countries, but there's a lot of differences between the US and any other market, really. Mm -hmm. Um, There's lots of differences, but I think probably a a couple of key ones is that uh, the US is much more developed and kind of leading the way in terms of philanthropy and major giving. Mm -hmm. Um, You guys do that so well and and really build out that kind of major giving um, event space. In Australia, we're, we're more focused on individual giving. So we've got really established monthly giving programs in, in mm. many cases, probably still based on quite traditional approaches. So a mm. lot of mail and, and face-to-face and, and phone conversion. Mm. Uh, and then probably the other major difference is that uh, there's not as much religious giving in Australia, mm. which is mm-hmm. obviously a, a big part of, of what happens in the States. Yeah. Yeah. And that would be pretty similar to to Canada as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's always interesting. I was just talking to someone today about the International Fundraising Conference, the IFC. And uh, I've never actually been, but what's neat about kind of learning from other people doing fundraising internationally is uh, just to see how different it is, you know, like face to face, for example, you know, uh, heavy focus on recurring, like those are two very unique things. Um, to Australia or you're or not that present, you know, in the United yeah. States. So it's always interesting hearing about that because Americans or U.S. based funders like, what do you do? And the phone, like how it was like, what is happening? So it's always interesting. And that's yeah. part of the reason why I wanted to have you on the, the podcast is to share more about your global work and some really interesting work. But also, you know, you probably have a little bit of a different perspective that we can learn from. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Of course. My pleasure. All right. So for those that don't know about Movember, can you give us the quick intro? Like, what do you do and kind of like, where do you do it? So Movember is the leading charity dedicated to changing the face of men's health around the world. Uh, And we do this by investing in the critical areas of prostate cancer, testicular cancer and mental health and suicide prevention for men. Uh, So since we were founded in 2003, we've created a men's health movement that has over 5 million supporters across the world. And those 5 million supporters have helped to fund more than uh, 1,200 innovative men's health projects uh, across more than 20 countries. So what we're most well known for is our peer-to-peer campaign in the month Mm -hmm. of November. So moustaches and and November equals Movember. Uh, And yes, we've uh, graced the upper lip of millions of men. (laughs) Well phrased, well phrased. Yeah, it's been interesting to see, obviously being uh, Canadian and where Movember has a very strong presence, to kind of see the evolution, you know, over time. And it was just kind of like a not a silly thing necessarily, but a very kind of like tongue in cheek flipping thing. And then it got so big. And then there's like, well, what do we do with all this like money? And now it's expanded to different programs. And so it's been interesting to kind of see the evolution of Movember in Canada in particular over, you know, the decade or so that I've been I've been following. It's been really interesting to watch. Um, uh, yeah. And that, that's I'm sure you've seen the same thing in Australia and other countries is kind of the growth and then the challenges that can come with growth. Right. 
It is uh, it is amazing how much change and impact facial hair has made. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, for Movember to have come from really humble beginnings, uh, yeah. it was essentially a couple of guys chatting in a pub in Fitzroy here in Melbourne uh, in, yeah, in 2003, talking about how the moustaches were not in fashion. And at that time, hipster culture was not a thing. Like, you just did not see moustaches. <laughs> Um, now, now moustaches are everywhere. Right. So to have, to have grown from that to be the you know men's health movement that it is today is just amazing. Yeah, I, I love those stories that happen so simple. Or uh, you know, you were recently at our at our conference where we also had the founder of Classy and same thing. It was just a few folks who wanted to do a run and they grabbed the name from like an Anchorman movie and like they didn't set out to build this massive peer-to-peer platform or fundraising tool just like you know your founders didn't set out to do this global movement it just kind of just kind of happened i think that's that's always interesting when that happens all right so uh, i want to dive in specifically to kind of what led to you coming to our conference and winning your award congratulations again um is really some kind of pioneering work and kind of revitalizing your peer-to-peer campaign particularly this move product within the kind of Movember universe. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about kind of where you were leading up to this decision to kind of like, man, we need to kind of do something different. And then I kind of want to walk through the different things that you did, because I think it's a really interesting case study. Totally. So for Movember, as I've mentioned, the moustache is king uh, and it's still an incredibly important way for our supporters to engage with us by growing that moustache in the month of Movember. But as we started to set really ambitious goals to achieve our, our aim of stopping men dying too young, we wanted to diversify the ways that our supporters could engage with Movember uh, and to really also kind of be, be more inclusive with our offering. So for people that didn't want to grow a moustache anymore mm. or couldn't grow a mo, or were just looking for something new to complement uh, how mm. they could fundraise for us. So we knew that we wanted to offer uh, different fundraising products. And a couple of years ago, we built out this fundraising um, alternative called Move, uh, which at that time was quite open-ended and it was asking people to uh, make their move for 30 days uh, and and quite broad about what you could do there wasn't a particular target and you didn't you could do any activity that you wanted mm-hmm. I think at one stage there was a pull-up challenge uh, and and we knew that we really wanted to kind of push that out to our audience and and give them a different way to engage with us beyond just Mm -hmm. the facial hair. Um, But over the last couple of years, up up until 2018, it had had mixed results uh, and there was a little bit of confusion about what it stood for and and our fundraisers were confused about what it actually meant to them. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of where you were at. Uh, And then kind of walk us through maybe, um, like, was there some, like, data analysis behind that or something that you found? Uh, and then like, h- how difficult was it to make the decision of something that, you know, wasn't a failure, but maybe just wasn't working how you wanted to, to say, let's, let's make some changes here. Let's revitalize that. Can you walk us through that process a little bit? Yeah. So historically, uh, the reasoning behind Move before 2018 was that we wanted to make it as inclusive and open-ended as possible. So we mm-hmm. didn't, we specifically didn't want to limit the ways that people could fundraise for us. Right. But looking at that data and then looking at the anecdotal feedback coming from our supporters in particular, it was that they didn't really know what the product was. It was so open-ended and so broad that it wasn't a really clear way for them to engage with us. Gotcha. Um, And then we we drilled into it a little bit further. And even though we were offering lots of different ways, you could row, you could cycle, you could swim, 
the vast, vast majority of people were doing something quite similar. Uh, our mm. most successful fundraisers were either running or walking and they mm. were kind of creating their own target. Uh, and so we, we looked at that. We talked to our supporters a lot and then we also uh, spent time doing a lot of academic research on mm. what was happening in the not-for-profit sector more widely. What mm. were the best examples of their kind of fitness-based fundraising campaigns in, in Australia, in the US, in the UK, in Canada? And what were the commonalities? And one really interesting insight that we hit upon was this idea of setting a distance target. Mm. So historically, our, our move um, campaign before 2018 hadn't had a, a distance target. But what we actually found is that for our audience, which is really 25 to 45-year-old guys, that was a worry because mm. they were either worried about setting a target that was too high and they wouldn't be able to achieve their distance target right. and their friends would laugh at them <laughs> or they would set a target that was too low and then no one would want to give them money because, you know, it was a little bit lame. Mm. But there's a lot of trust in charities and it was, it was certainly kind of apparent that people were asking us to set that target for them and to tell them what was an appropriate distance to be aiming for to be able to fundraise. So that was gotcha. one of the really interesting insights that we were we were kind of working towards. Yeah. Well, I think that that's what was really interesting is this kind of combination of, you know, quantitative, you know, feedback and data of saying like, man, this isn't, you know, this product isn't performing as we'd hope, but a lot of qualitative data, listening to customers and what they say, and then the combination of academic research as well as part of the solution to see what else is going on. I think that's such a... Uh, a neat approach to, you know, gather data information from us, not just one source or one of those three, but the combination of the three. So then uh, walk us through some of the kind of changes that, that you made kind of based on this data intelligence and, and research. What did you do with it? Yeah. So the first thing we did is we came to a decision that ultimately our move fundraising offering or fundraising campaign was going to be targeted at people that didn't know how they wanted to fundraise for Movember. So this was this was a, a you know a, a challenge in and of itself because whilst we knew that the majority of our fundraisers who had done move in previous years were running or walking, there is of course a really valuable and really important group of, of people that were doing all kinds of crazy challenges. They were right. doing, you know, rowing across the English Channel or cycling all around Australia, just crazy things. And we knew that they were not going to fit within this particular move direction. But Hmm. our reasoning was that amazing fundraisers like that that have kind of set their own epic challenges, they were coming to us with their idea. They didn't Mm -hmm. need to see themselves represented in this this, uh, fundraising messaging. Whereas what we wanted to do was to engage people that were perhaps looking for a new way to fundraise Movember that didn't have that idea. So. That was quite a big transformation in and of itself, uh, but was the catalyst for really narrowing down that that product uh, definition or description. So mm-hmm. the Move product messaging now and what it was redeveloped uh, to be in 2018 is that we ask people to commit to running or walking 60 kilometres or 60 miles in the US across the month of November. And that's 60 kilometres for the 60 men that uh, die from suicide each hour. So that's Mm. one man a minute globally. uh, And we're asking people to make their move for them and to uh, stop men dying too young, essentially. Right. So just making it um, 
I mean, obviously, there's nice symmetry in the 60 and 60, tying impact into what they're doing, but also just basically making it clear, like, you're, you're going to do this. <laughs> like, this is what you this is what you do. Yes, that's right. And we really wanted to ensure that our, our people that were moving for us uh, in November were really clear on the impact that they could have and the mm-hmm. why. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't want to just set a, you know, kind of random distance target and say, oh, commit to 100Ks if that didn't really resonate with something that was really important to November. Right. Right. Uh, and unfortunately, that that um, statistic is is there and it needs to right. be changed. Right. Um, so then that's kind of like the, the goal and the messaging. But then how did you kind of implement that throughout, especially like kind of the web infrastructure? Mm-hmm. So we took an iterative approach to that product development. Uh, and really in 2018, it was our um, MVP of that move product. So we changed the messaging. Uh, and one really important change from in 2018 was that we presented our fundraising products, uh, Grow, which is the moustache move, which we're talking about today, and host our other fundraising um, alternative. We presented them on our Movember.com homepage as three equally encouraged and supported ways to mm. fundraise for Movember. Um, so even though we knew that the Mo is king and that so many people still just wanted to grow that moustache Movember, which is fantastic, that if you were doing move or host, you were still as much a part hmm. of that movement um, and a really valuable part of the Movember community. So we did that on the homepage and we also built it into our um, our sign-up flow. So we we knew that the move product didn't have nearly as much um, market knowledge or brand recognition. So we didn't want to just say commit to move for Movember. We wanted to give people that um, that kind of description of what that was. We built mm-hmm. that into our sign-up flow and then started to build out um, the start of these tailored supported journeys based on your product choice. So if you do move for Movember, for instance, uh, we give you a little reminder to connect your fitness tracker, um, which is, is a really important part of that experience. We send you resources about how to ask for donations if you're doing move, which is a separate approach to if you're just mm. growing a moustache. Uh and we, we started to build out our um, ambassador approach and our content to show people that anyone could do move. You didn't have to be a, a super athlete and you didn't have to be doing something crazy. It was really a kind of it, an, a, a, an approach for the everyman. Right. Um, awesome. And what kind of like hurdles or challenges did you encounter along the way or were there some things that you maybe didn't think of that once you started kind of going to market, you're like, ah, look at that. Like, did you have any challenges along the way? Yeah. So I think uh, for me personally, a big one was the weather in our different markets. In Australia, it's summer and you can go out for a 5k jog in the morning and just be wearing a t-shirt. And then, you know, in, in some parts of Canada or the states it's like minus 20 degrees and it's not <laughs> doing that so we wanted to we deliberately um what one of the reasons that we were so happy with the running and walking approach was that you could do it inside of course right, you right. Run and walk on a treadmill um but how we showed that in our imagery and our product copy was um yeah certainly a, a challenge and hmm. and something that i hadn't thought of initially when i started looking this at this <laughs> development Interesting. Yeah, it's it's funny because it's such a thing that it's like, yeah, we we should think about the weather. Obviously, we're asking people to like go outside and things like that. But at the same time, it's 
why would you think about the weather, you know? Yeah. I don't know. That, that's a funny one. Interesting. I guess there's not a ton you could really do with the timing working so globally. Like, it's not going to be ideal for someone, right? There's going to be some weather issues no matter when you do it. That's funny. Yeah. Um, so what was the final result then? What was kind of the, the outcome from last year and kind of making these different changes? Yeah, so in 2017, the results of the MOVE product were fairly low globally. Uh, so we had around 25,000 uh, fundraisers globally who raised about 3.3 million um, Australian dollars. Uh, but we really wanted to to increase that and to um, further that experience. So after that, the um, product changes and, and the messaging, uh, I'm happy to report that in 2018, we had about 65,000 fundraisers globally who committed to do MOVE. So you tripled the amount of people that fundraised and like quadrupled the number of people that actually, or the, quadrupled the, the revenue gained. We did. That's, that's that's pretty amazing <laughs> in just yeah. kind of one year. So one of the questions that uh, I didn't get a chance to ask, did you see some people moving from product to product? Like did people who maybe were more traditional grow, did you see some, not like cannibalization, but did they kind of move over to move and that's what led to uh, some of the growth? Or was it pretty much kind of like just like new revenue, new fundraisers, new growth? So that was an unexpected surprise for us as well. We had historically um, anticipated or hypothesized that MOVE was going to be more of a retention um, opportunity. So for people, as you say, that had done grow a couple of years and then maybe we're, you know, looking for a new way to engage with Movember that we'd be able to transition them onto MOVE. And that certainly happened. But it also... Uh, actually provided a great opportunity for engaging new Mo's, uh, both Mo Bros and Mo Sisters. Um, and we found a lot of people were doing the combination. So people were growing and then they were moving as well. Oh, and interesting. Started, yeah. So huh. growing perhaps in a, in a corporate setting and they're part of right. the workplace team, but then moving individually and, and you know, adding that kind of messaging to their their request for donations, which uh, meant that they they went on to raise more money on average, yeah. uh, but also had a really remarkable experience with us by connecting with that um, that's so important cause messaging. Interesting. Okay, so free free idea. You don't have to use it, but just free idea. Um, uh, on a podcast recently, we had uh, Mike Norton, who's a researcher at Harvard, and one of the things that they've been doing research is how do you kind of ladder engagement or structure engagement and tell people immediately, like, here's the goals that you need to do, and particularly if you position it early on and kind of in the shape of a pie where people, like, complete the pie, they're more likely to complete it. So an idea would be you can have, like, a super mo who's, like, grows, moves, and hosts. So if they do one, then it's, like, great, you're, like, you're growing, and if you, like, move, then it's, like, Wow, you got two of the three, like, would you consider hosting and then you could be a super mo or something like that? Have you thought about that? Are you, go are you already doing that? Uh, we have. So certainly people can sign up to do any um, fundraising alternative that works for them. What we don't have, though, and that we've been throwing around is this idea of a naming convention for, for people that are doing, you know, moving and Multiple, hosting. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. So, if you're doing, I, I think this has not been approved, but, but if you're doing <laughs> grow and host, maybe we could call you a ghoster. Oh, um, I like it. <laughs> but I, I, I don't see us going down that track. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Anyways, I just think it's cool. And, and this is what's neat too, right? When you take that more iterative approach 
you build a product based on data and evidence, you put it out in the market, and then you see what people do, and they'll often surprise you and do things that you never could have predicted, never would have, they wouldn't have even told you maybe in like qualitative feedback or focus groups, but when you see people moving from one product to another or doing both products, now you can say, huh, what can we do to actually maybe encourage people to go from one product to another and vice versa in a way that's not like do more, but, you know, kind of like, hey, you know, this is something else that you can do. That's that's interesting how we learn so much uh, before launch and then you learn so much like after launch as long as you're, you know, kind of like listening for things. That's cool. Um, so what's ahead for you and the Movember team as we head into 2019 or in the future? Do you have other things in the work or uh, can you share what you're working on? Like what's what's going on in your world? Yeah, so we are in the process of building out some new fundraising offerings for our community, which we're going to launch in in 2020 with the goal always of really capturing what people are already doing for Movember and just making their experience as remarkable as possible. Uh, And we're also looking to build out some new um, donation uh, revenue streams as well. So Movember is is in an interesting place in that um, because we've, been founded on this idea of a peer-to-peer campaign and mm-hmm. been uh, doing that for 18 years now. Um, we're, we're now kind of at the beginning of building out that donation journey mm. and, and how people can engage with Movember year-round. So the major focus for us is how can we really show value to our supporters and connect them to our work and the impact that they're having yeah. in the months that are not Movember? Yeah. Uh, and just what what does that look like and and huh. Really, I, I think for us, our our opportunity is to certainly take the the learnings from what other charities are doing so incredibly well, mm-hmm. but then apply them to our Movember audience, which is quite right. unique uh, right. in that fundraising space, and and really build out a a product or a. Um, engagement opportunity that is really relevant to them and, and speaks to what they want to hear from Movember. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it's always interesting seeing the 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 growth and rise of kind of like more movements like yours that at some point reaches and then kind of starts to become a little bit more traditional, right? Like so, Charity Water is very much the same way. Pledge your birthday, September campaign. At some point, the revolution. They go like, we gotta we gotta do some like regular fundraising, and so you know, recurring giving and things like major gifts, and you know, they had to build this whole other thing because a movement is unbelievably difficult to like fabricate right it's it's just kind of got to be organic but then it's it also is hard to just keep going and growing and growing right you kind of have to supplement it with some more you know traditional things so that'll be interesting to watch as you implement and uh you have to keep us posted on the things you're learning along the way absolutely will do so um thank you so much for sharing more about uh move and the kind of work that you've done um stepping back a little bit we ask a lot of people on the podcast this question but how do you think we can grow, improve, and optimize generosity just more at a macro level? I think it's twofold, but ultimately they're really connected. One is keeping the supporters at the heart of mm. everything that you do, and in particular in that in that product development, um, I think it's so important that charities and um, you know anyone playing in this space is really focused on the needs of the audience and the people mm. that are going to be receiving the message as opposed mm-hmm. to just what the charity needs to achieve. Yeah. Um, and, and secondly, connected to that is I, I think the charity space does need to innovate and to 
do that, we need to take the lessons from their for-profit space, you know, the, the startups and what they're doing and how they're, you know, developing iterative product techniques and developing mm. that. I think we need to apply those lessons to what we know are the fundamental truths of the of the charity space. And that's where there's going to be those really exciting kind of leaps forward in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah, no, totally agree. I think that's that's a really cool thing. Because oftentimes when we talk about innovation and iterative approach, it's for a lot of people, like their stress level just goes up and, you know, about changing. And it's not necessarily we're saying, like, there are some fundamental truths that we know, you know, about how to communicate, how to message people, what impact. Like, there's things that we know about donors. We're not saying just, like, throw it all out. But we are saying, particularly nonprofits, we're not really built for speed and agility. And that is incredibly important in today's like business. And so how do we keep what we know about donors and add in this kind of speed and agility to, to kind of go through these cycles a little bit quicker and a little bit better that I think that's a really good answer. Well done. Good answer. Thank you. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, it's morning there. I'm going to let you get back to your work, but before we close, uh, where can people find out more about you and your work? Uh, so people just need to go to Movember.com uh, and they can find out all about what Movember is doing uh, in our cause area. And of course, if it is in the month of uh, that was previously known as November and is now known as Movember, uh, <laughs> please do sign up and support us by growing, moving or hosting. Awesome. And uh, it's a great way to just see how uh, a really innovative organization is doing peer to peer really, really well. So even if... Uh, even if you just want to do some market intelligence, I highly recommend you check out what they're doing. But you should probably fundraise while you're there. So, uh, Alex, thank you so much for taking some time and sharing with us. And uh, have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Hey, this is Brady, and I just want to say thank you for listening to the Generosity Freak Show. If you want to get all future episodes, please be sure to subscribe at generosityfreakshow.com, or you can just search the Generosity Freak Show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have comments, questions, feedback, you can email us at podcast at next after. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, the Generosity Freak Show is produced by Next After, where I work. Next After is an online fundraising research lab that works with nonprofits to help them grow their online fundraising. And our mission is to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world. You can learn more about us and what we're up to and see our latest research at nextafter.com. Lastly, this show would not be possible without my co-host, Tim Kachuriak, and our amazing mixologist and producer, Nathan Hill. So many, many thanks to them. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week 